Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Equipped Bruised Tired podcast. I'm joined here with my wonderful co-host, Ryan Stinn. And uh, as per usual, Ryan, how was your training this week, man? Well, up until today, it was pretty terrible. Yeah. But today was great. So I, uh, I, me and Mike decided to probably pivot this week. Um, okay. I don't, I don't know. He said he sent me a new block, but I never got it. So he said he sent me his pivot, but I told him that like I was going to probably maybe YOLO a little bit on bench today on mm-hmm. raw bench. So, so he's like, yeah, whatever, you know, do what you got to do. What's and, that? uh, so yeah, I went in today thinking maybe I'd go for 215, which would be like a five kilo all time PR. And best I hit this block was 210 and a half, which was just a little half kilo PR. Boom. So then I went in and I hit 200. It was a little slow. So I went 212 just trying to, you know, have a good solid bench. And yeah, yeah. yeah, I like hit it real solid. So I figured, you know, what the heck? I don't know what we're going to do next block. So let's go 220 and see what happens. Load four reds with clips. Yeah. And, uh, you know, the uh, old spring clip trip. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I, hit it like i called it a nine and a half which is probably pretty accurate it uh it was a little sloppy um i think yeah. i was a little tentative then rushed the descent so kind of like a two-stage descent a bit and then okay yeah yeah it, but moved pretty well and yeah i'm happy so yeah that's awesome other that's than that i have terrible. literally nothing to report because it's been terrible <laughs> <laughs> just still dealing with the adductor and yeah yeah adductor stuff yeah annoying so, just crap. adding stuff throwing throwing back in the mcgill big three yeah and trying to uh see if that helps to bring some happiness back to my pelvis region i don't know what the problem is so whatever's going on there yeah so how about you um real good another good week just kind of chipping away at things uh loaded 295 for a raw squat single and that's on par with the heaviest raw squat i've done in four years or so Mm-hmm. So since Worlds 2016, when I hit 307, I think every meet since then has been 295 or less. So that felt pretty cool. Um, tomorrow, which is uh, sort of the last, the last comp singles of the block, which is why I'm not out hiking today with Selena. <laughs> she just texted me. They got a little bit lost on the mountain, and it was super oh, yeah. busy. And yeah, so I'm glad I didn't go today. But uh, yeah, so I'll take a. Single probably about 305 and then see if I can resist the urge to load 320 if it goes well. Uh, we'll see how it goes. It's going to have to be 100% shot with only Selena to spot me, but we'll see. Right, for sure. Um, and then, yeah, I'll take my 200 kilo bench tomorrow. Yeah. Crank some Celine Dion and put it on the bar. I have to admit I didn't put Celine Dion on for my... Oh, man. For mine, no, I was... I had to go full hype for 220, so... That's fair. What was your full hype song? uh that's a good question uh, it was curious. elevate elevate by uh uh dj khaled is that who it is I don't I, I'm, I'm gonna i'm gonna offend people by not actually knowing who that is maybe yeah it was good I, I was pretty happy hit the ammonia my eyes were watering a little bit so had to go had to go full hype i don't do that very often in the gym but sweet man. But had to, had... i'm super stoked for you yeah yeah i'm pretty happy Two, two i mean 500 pound bench has been my goal since I started lifting basically. So yeah, you know, uh, we'll see if we can hit that here at some point in the future. So we have a couple of listener questions this week. Yeah. Did yeah. We got a that? few. I think Great. people felt bad for us not having any last week. So <laughs> yes, yes. Have pity on us. <laughs> um, 
So we got an email from Michael and yeah. uh, he specifically asked me, he said, Ryan, could you do a compare and contrast of the super scent and TRX to the best of my knowledge? And yeah. um, I know Inza recommends minus hip from minus eight from the hip size, but is that a medium tight or aggressive fit similar to how Titan has regular meat comp? Also any information on how the material stretches out? Um, so I haven't worn a TRX since 2016. Uh, let me think. Um, 2017, that was Quebec Nationals, right? Yeah. Uh, yeah, Saguenay, that sounds about right. Yeah. Yeah. So I hit, I wore one there, um, and I squat 395. Uh, I may have got called on depth. I did get called on depth, um, but it moved pretty well. So, you know, if that's any kind of indication, I've squat 405 in a Super Centurion now. So yeah. uh, 10 kilos more, but... Um, I do remember when I got my Centurion that year, um, uh, I was going to the World Games, so I decided I was going to try a Centurion because everyone said, you know, so much better of a suit. Mm-hmm. I remember putting it on the first time and, and thinking, like, how much stiffer it is. Um, I think once it breaks in, it it becomes more comparable. Okay. Um, but definitely the, the extra harness stitching they have um, adds a little more stiffness to it. Okay. Um, I had planned to go back into a TRX this last training block for nationals, but ended up, um, it didn't fit the day I went to put it on. So, oh, okay. <laughs> so I just threw on my Centurion and went with that. Yeah. Um, I would say they're, they're pretty comparable. Uh, you might get a little more of a, a, a Centurion. It depends. Like you, you see Joe cap, um, as mm-hmm. an example, went to the super Centurion, uh, ended up going back to the TRX. Yeah. He didn't like that. Um, Julian uh, from Iceland wears a, a TRX and, mm-hmm. you know, uh, so it, there's some big names that, that wear the TRX, especially in the heavier classes, obviously. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, I think it's a good suit. I don't think it stretches out as fast as uh, the Titans do. Uh, he he asked about stretching yeah. and I don't think it stretches out nearly as fast as Titan stuff does. Um, I, it's not a big deal to me since I can modify my gear. Mm-hmm. One thing I like about the TRX and the Fusion also from Inzer is that the hips are tapered and uh, I find like almost the Centurion is like opposite of tapered. Like the hips almost like bow out at the, uh, okay. on them. So um, I've always had to take in like on the Centurions I have now, I've always had to take the hips in just to kind of make them tighter, mm. but the, I've never taken hips in on a, on a TRX. So um, if that's anything you like, like I really like the, the slim hips and um, like a wider quad that mm. the, the Inzer suits have. Okay. And that's, like, I went back to the Fusion because um, I found that I wasn't getting much out of the Centurion for uh, deadlifts. And I tried a Velocity as well. So I went to the Fusion again and it's it's been working good again. So mm-hmm. yeah, I really like them. Yeah, that was the one thing that I had heard uh, other lifters comparing the two was they said that the the Super Scent will, will kind of give to a certain point and conform and, and change in your first five or six sessions uh, a little bit more whereas the trx is pretty much it doesn't doesn't really give much like it doesn't uh doesn't break in it doesn't really change too too much is that kind of yeah i'd say it opens up a little bit but definitely not as much i don't right. think as the as the the, the fusion material i think yeah. it comes down to like if you feel a centurion especially a new one like the material feels a little bit thicker i think mm-hmm. so um yeah that'd be my experience in it and that that said like i might try and get back into one at some point when I get back into equipment, yeah. um, 
I luckily have full access to them, so right. I can just kind of like lose one off the shelf if I want to try one again. But <laughs> yeah, yeah I had taken a 38 to throw on for national training block and, and I didn't even get it up past my knees. Basically, I'm like, oh, this is a rough suit to throw Ooh, on yeah, my first okay. day back in the gear. So yeah, so yeah, that's why I just threw a loose centurion on and then I just kind of stuck with it after that. Right. And so that would be my experience with it. Uh, and then we have one more. Okay, so we had one question also on YouTube. Um, and the question is, uh, in the deadlift suit, I personally pull conventional mm -hmm. and always kind of sucked at deadlifts in general. I pull really wide conventional so I can use more hips. Uh, first question, any tips to get past the thigh pinching from the bar and the beginning of the leg of the suit? So I'm thinking like, kind of like, almost like the skin getting pushed Where up between like the bar and the... Folds a bit. Yeah. yeah. Um, second question is wide. Any overall tips on deadlifting in a suit? Struggling more with the deadlift suit, the other piece of equipment. Mm -hmm. uh, max deadlift is 585. Um, not getting a whole lot of the suit because I can pull 565 raw. Right. Um, and that was from Jerry Cool. All right. Um, you're the deadlifter. I'll let you kind of go. I, I, I know you pulled conventional for years, raw at least. Yeah. So. yeah. I don't think I ever made it to the bar conventional in a suit. I tried once and then just switched to sumo. Because even, even though I didn't pull sumo, uh, I was like, well, I'm not getting to the bar this way. I think the big thing for me with the deadlift, and this is interesting because it's going to run a little bit counter to what you'll hear um, our, our guests talk about today. I think he and I have a bit of a, a differing viewpoint on this. And that's that for me, I don't want the straps on my deadlift suit too tight. Uh, I think that the straps are one of the biggest things that's going to prevent me from being able to get into a good position. Um, and I think a lot of times, especially when you look at how much you can get out of a deadlift suit, even if you're really good at it, it's going to be substantially less than you get out of the other pieces of gear. So I think getting a piece that fits properly and allows you to pull a little bit more similar to how you would uh, raw, I think is a big thing. And I think overdoing it with the equipment tightness on a deadlift suit is really easy to do. Uh, and then obviously if your positioning is, is too far off, you're just not going to be able to, to sort of regain that position to lock it out. You're going to be just having to pull your back through at the top under, you know, uh, super maximal load. So uh, in terms of the, the rolling and pinching and stuff, I mean, a lot of that is just kind of comes with the territory in my experience. Um, I think the deadlift suit specifically cuts up the fronts of my legs pretty good. But uh, and I mean, if, you, if it's a, if it's a matter of the suit sort of folding onto itself, you might be able to kind of chalk under the suit leg a little bit, which is a, a trick you can use to kind of get things to stick in place. But then you obviously got to be careful that the chalk isn't peeking out from underneath the suit, which is going to stop the bar pretty dead. So it's a fine, fine line of baby powder and chalk and all the, all the white powders all over your legs. But yeah, that would be kind of where I'd come at it from. What do you think, Ryan? Yeah. I mean, I can definitely, uh, agree with you on not being able to get to the bar with a conventional dead suit. Mm. Uh, I've, I've certainly been able to get to the bar with the suit and, uh, I did pull conventional in a meet. I want to say like 2011 or 2010. Um, oh no, it was longer ago than that. Maybe 2007 even. Okay. And it was terrible. I really wanted to pull conventional. I really want, I want to pull 300 conventional rot or 300 conventional at the time. Cause I'd pulled it a uh, sumo and I wanted to prove that it wasn't just, uh, sumo lifter. So we right, had a race right. with someone else to 300 kilos okay. and he claimed that I was cheating because I changed a sumo halfway through the competition. <laughs> so, so I, I decided to pull it, but that said it, it uh, really, yeah, like getting in position, I don't know the best conventional deadlift in the best at the best time. So 
um, if I'm not careful, it just pulls my shoulder so far forward that uh, I end up with like big turtle back deadlift going. Yeah. Um, so I definitely say like not being too aggressive on the straps. And also uh, one thing that can help is to have someone grab the front of your straps uh, and then pull them kind of down as you kind of seat your shoulders back right, right. Yeah. and that, and then make sure you don't kind of lose that shoulder position. Mm-hmm. Uh, it'll help you kind of set the shoulders in position. And as long as you can hold them there without letting them roll back forward, then you should be okay. Now that said, if you have to struggle to get to the bar, it's hard to hold that position. So yeah. that that's one thing I, I know can help is trying to roll the straps in the suit. Yeah. That's actually um, something that I kind of have, have done, uh, I think unintentionally until you just mentioned it now. But there's a picture of me that Heinrich took one year before my world record attempt, and I'm going like this. And it's not because I'm like super into anime or anything. Uh, it's because I'm trying to roll my shoulders back so the yeah. material and the fabric of my T-shirt goes back further against the straps so that ideally the straps are pulling my chest up as opposed to pulling me forward. Right. That's yeah. And that's, uh, yeah, I definitely, if you watch me deadlift, like lots of times I'll like throw my arms in the air and mm-hmm. the same thing just trying to set my shoulders back in the suit yeah. um especially in deadlifts i don't worry much about it in squats but i know some people do the same thing with squatting having their mm-hmm. straps rolled mm-hmm. um and then one thing i've also found uh and this was something i used to do more was actually like baby powdering my my armpits okay. which kind of let my arms kind of slide through a little better through right. the lockout yep. um especially so, for a bigger guy with bigger lats and pecs and yeah yeah so different uh, the the skin folding over the suit of the, or legs of the suit, um, I, I bay powder maybe would help that. Um, or in training, if you don't want to use bay powder, just try and get like the front of your legs really wet. So like get a wet towel and just like really dampen up your legs. It'll help the the bar slide a little easier. Mm. Um, I also like I wear my legs pretty high in the suit for deadlifts. So uh, yeah, me too. Yeah, actually. Because if I don't, they end up like sliding up when I bend over, especially sumo. They roll up and it hurts like a bastard. Oh, so. yeah. Because it pulls out all the hair at the same time. <laughs> <It sucks. laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I don't know. Let's try that stuff and see if that helps with the, the conventional. Unfortunately, neither of us are conventional suited deadlifters. So, no. so switch hopefully... to sumo. There's my suggestion. <laughs> there, It all boils down to that. <laughs> uh yeah so i mean that's that's our questions hey we just had the two of them for this yeah yeah cool um so if you're interested in having your questions uh answered by ryan and myself or potentially our guests you can you know shoot us an instagram dm or uh reach out through equipped bruised tired at gmail.com or just comment on one of our youtube videos and with that said we will toss it over to our interview today now our guest today is a personal inspiration of mine as a lot of our guests so far have been, which is quite fun. And Adam Ramsey has been competing since 2010. He was the first Canadian to Wilkes over 600 and is currently the number one ranked equipped male lifter in Canada. So he's a bronze medalist at 2016 Open Worlds, which is very impressive, as well as that qualified him to then go on and compete at the World Games, which for anybody who's followed the podcast, I'm sure that you know that the World Games is pretty much the Olympics of equipped lifting. Now, throughout this interview, we get a little bit out into the weeds on some programming. We talk metrics and programming theory. Uh, Adam even spits some numbers at us that uh, Ryan and I crunched afterwards, and I think it would have taken us 
six to eight weeks to try to match some of the volume loads that uh, that Ramsey regularly does or, or at least did in training. So uh, I thought it was pretty eye opening. He was very open to chat uh, specifics about what he's learned. Um, we talked about uh, in depth some of the, the gear that he uses and how he may modify it. Um, so, yeah, another fantastic interview. And uh, we'll uh, we'll toss it over there now. Well, uh, first off, man, thanks for thanks for being here. Thanks for coming on the podcast. Yeah, it's my pleasure chatting with us. We're uh, I personally am very excited uh, to have you on. I know you've been uh, a bit of an inspiration in my own sort of journey into and, and through equipment. I know when I first got into the equipment, I probably sent you a lot of DMs asking a lot of questions about a lot of things um, that I basically just needed to try and figure out for myself. But uh, yeah, so. Um, maybe well, thank you very t- much. <clears throat> oh, yeah, sure. <laughs> I appreciate that. No, it's my pleasure to be here today and uh, share my experience with uh, quick lifting. Sweet. Um, so just to start off with, can you tell us a little bit about um, maybe kind of how you got into the sport? There was something about a knee injury at some point, maybe that, that brought you here. Yeah, I'm sure I've told this story before on uh, on other podcasts and things. Um, but uh, I I don't really come from a strength sport background. I, uh, as a kid, I was always the, you know, the average kid who played lots of sports, soccer and swimming and whatnot. And, uh, I did some triathlon actually in, in high school. Uh, and that's where I, that story that you're thinking of where I uh, dealt with some trouble with my knees and, uh, started to do some rehab in the gym, lifting weights and, uh, just ended up not leaving the gym because it's more fun to lift weights than to run, uh, 10 or 40 kilometers. Um, <laughs> and, uh, back when I started, this was, I guess it's a little bit more than a decade now for me. Uh, the only thing there was was uh, was a quick lifting. Um, so my first contest, I lifted raw because I didn't know how powerlifting worked. Uh, and then I saw all these guys lifting lots of weights and decided to take the jump and then had my first nationals in 2012. Right on. Yeah. So you did your first nationals the same year I began lifting. Okay. Yeah. There you go. Yeah, just a couple of years head start then. Yeah. Yeah. A little bit. Um, that's cool, man. So you obviously took a, a little bit of time to get into the gear. It wasn't like the first thing you did was go to the gym, and throw some equipment on or like how long or how was that transition from raw to equipped for you? Yeah. I mean, uh, in high school, so, uh, gosh, 16 years old or so I started just going to the gym and doing a lot of curls and bench press, you know, at that age I started to be like, Oh, you know, women are interesting. So figured that, that was the answer. Um, not sure it worked, but anyways, yeah, uh, sure. eventually, <laughs> uh, like I said, when I went back with, uh, some knee troubles, I discovered that you can also do legs once in a while. Um, and, uh, so I lifted sort of just like bodybuilding style, not really careful training, um, from around when I was 16 off and on until, uh, about, uh, 2008 or so. And then I started doing more like a powerlifting training. I fiddled around with all I could find of West Side or whatever else you can find online um, until around 2010. And that's when I competed. And then in 2011, I did, or like at the second half of 2010. So after about uh, three years of inconsistent raw training, I started lifting in quite loose equipment at the time uh, mm-hmm. and, uh, and sort of went full force into it, if I'm being honest with you. I sort of discovered it and uh, was in it full time at the start. So it drew you right in like the the allure of equipment uh, kind of pulled you away from raw early? 
It did. Yeah. I mean, again, at the time, like I realized how much I enjoyed the idea of competing in this sport. Uh, mm-hmm. And at the time, that was what there was. Uh, and so ultimately, if you wanted to be competitive, you needed to be competent in the equipment because you can lift more weight. Uh, and so I was very committed to it and I enjoyed it. And so I didn't mind um, the idea of being in a squat suit twice a week, every week, in a bench shirt every yeah. week. Um, and worked for me, obviously. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So now, um, in conversations in the past, I know you're, you have or you do a substantial amount of volume in your training. Mm-hmm. Is that kind of how you started or is that something you kind of built up? Like I know there was conversations of like 16 or 18 sets of five. Is that um, just yeah. for fun or is that like something you've built up over time and now do you still train that way? Yeah. So uh, the way I got into uh, focused, thoughtful programming um, was really through uh, an interest in the idea of this practice-centric training, the idea that we shouldn't think of powerlifting as just the pursuit of building muscle, um, which is how you might think of bodybuilding, obviously, and that drives decisions in your training. But I, I was very intrigued with the idea of thinking of it as practice-based, just like, you know, when I was 14 and I liked playing golf, it's not that I went and I tried to just swing as hard as I could all the time. You focused on skills and you developed skills and ultimately, at least, as a 14-year-old golfing, you know, you can, the only thing limiting your progress is how many hours you put in, how much time you put into to developing the skill, um, obviously beyond potentially having injury. Now with, with lifting, um, I found that uh, the idea of practice through many, 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 many sets of modest effort made sense to me. And that's where I found the, you know, online, I'm sure you've seen like those Shapo programs, those templates. Um, and I certainly ran many of those as written in the template and it sort of made sense to me. Uh, and that's where I started. So it was high sets, um, building up to an overall high volume, depending on how you want to define volume, we can discuss that. And that's certainly built over the years. And I still train very much that way. I've had the curious experience of over the last couple of years, um, finding that I can't do as much volume as I did before for many reasons. Uh, and so I don't necessarily do uh, as often the types of workouts that uh, you're thinking of where I've done six by six of squat bench and deadlift in a single session, um, but not far off, but there's been a modest reduction um, lately. So would you say that, so you, would you say what you do now program-based is very much still based on like the Shaco style? Absolutely, yes. Okay. So you'll see uh, if I were to uh, show my training the way it is written tends to be percentage-based. Uh, so I will have a percentage written. I tend to be more flexible uh, lately, especially with um, variability in life that dictates how prepared I am for each session. Um, and then the efforts or the RPEs, um, which I do track uh, not, not, to, not to define the weight of the set, but to assess the performance in the session, I track RPE. Uh, you'll see that you know, I'll have tons of six, sevens, and some eights, and very rarely you see nines and tens in my training, uh, which enables me to have more sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> so we can see, like in the background, the plates. And we kind of kind of mentioned that you're you're in your. You said nine by nine. That's uh, right. Yes, I live in Vancouver, so uh, <laughs> nine by nine is a lot of square feet to find for a gym. But fortunately, <laughs> I uh, I have a very supportive wife who. But well, not begrudgingly, very happily actually agreed to let me turn this space into a gym. Right. So 
with that sort of, I'm assuming you have a pretty minimalistic setup in there, like rack bar plates. Do you have anything else in there? Uh, I have a pair of those like adjustable dumbbells. Okay. Um, they go from like five to 50. Um, nice. And then, yeah, just uh, 323 kilos of weights and a rack and a bar. Okay. Yeah. So given, given that your setup is, is pretty minimal, um, what's your, what's your stance on, on more sort of non-specific work? Um, obviously accumulating as much volume as you do and being very sort of practice and practice and, and skills centric and how you're laying out your training. Do you do a lot of more non-specific kind of supplemental work, um, or, or sort of what's your approach to those kinds of things? And do you have any, um, like interesting maneuvers that you've been able to come up with to do those on a minimal setup? Mm -hmm. That's a great question. And you know, the, the balance of pursuing training, uh, with a absolute focus on practice, which would mean that all you'd ever do is competition lifting, um, is, versus the balance of the benefit of variable stimuli is one that's worth considering. And it, of course, we have to acknowledge that if you want to be purely specific, all you're doing is maximal effort of the competition list, which is not what I'm dictating, right? So there is inherent variability, even if you're doing the competition lift, if it's not 100%, that's a variation. If it's multiple reps, that's a variation um, without getting too pedantic. Um, and so I do have variation in my training, and I've thought and experimented in the past with more of the type of phasic training that I think is becoming more prevalent these days. You know, you hear people talking about having a strength cycle or a hypertrophy cycle and a strength cycle and a peaking cycle. Mm -hmm. um, and I've certainly had them that before. Um, and I think that perhaps if I was rewound 10 years, that could have been very productive for me earlier on. But uh, as is commonly discussed within that idea, further along the, the trajectory of becoming advanced and elite and world champion type caliber lifter, um, you start to shift towards more focus. It makes rational sense. And so I still am uh, quite focused, but I do uh, introduce variation. And certainly I think that um, it's necessary to do so. Um, so for me, the, the tricks, as you've asked for how I introduce variation in my training is, as I said, I, I train at different rep ranges. So still competition movements, different rep ranges up to I don't tend to do a lot of work beyond sixes. So mm -hmm. um, with the idea being that I don't have a major goal for uh, hypertrophy, then there's maybe not as much use. Um, and then the biggest way I personally introduce variation is the amount of gear. So um, I almost exclusively train low bar squatting. Mm -hmm. uh, and that's also dictated by the fact that I've done it that way for so long that I, the times I've had injuries in the past, which I've been fortunate to not deal with the worst injuries has been when I've introduced more variation okay. because I've spent so long developing competencies in a very specific way that I do have relatively strong knee extensors. I have strong quads, but they're most effective at exerting their force in a low bar squat. So when I do lots of high bar squatting, that's when I've hurt my back, which is really the only uh, injury that I've, I've dealt with. Um, and so for me, like I said, it's almost all low bar and then knee wraps or suit bottoms or suit or raw. Mm -hmm. uh, and then uh, then I have a little more variation on bench, just the basic things you can think of to do with a barbell uh, and a bench. So having boards, having longer pauses, having modifications of the grip. Uh, and then deadlift, I'm actually very extreme. I almost exclusively do competition sumo deadlift. 
Okay. Yeah. And are and you then, talking about like the maximum specificity where you're usually only doing singles there or are you varying <laughs> rep ranges as well? You know, I actually uh, <laughs> have had, again, this is personal experience. So for whatever mm-hmm. it's worth each other person, I've had the best results with my deadlift when I do um, massive volumes of threes to fives. Okay. Yeah. So um, I've I've never had success with the repeated singles that some people advocate. I'm I'm fairly scared of the term massive volume. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Um, So you kind of mentioned injury and that kind of takes me to a question I had. Yeah. about um, Calgary in 2018. Sure. Is that what you're referring to? Yeah. When you had to pull right. out of Classic Worlds? That's so is that, you said a back injury, is that something that still kind of bugs you now? Do you know kind of exactly what the the issue was at the time or to just kind of go away? Yeah. Um, so I never have gotten perfect clarity on it. It seems to be like a, a serious strain of an erector uh, is what it was. Uh, and it certainly was not a one and done experience. Um, so unfortunately has lingered and been something I've had to consider, um, since I guess it was March, uh, 2018 when it happened. So I competed at nationals and then was preparing for a classic world. And I decided to pull out after the injury. Um, and, uh, I have to be aware of it. As I said, I've found, I've had, uh, minor re-injuries of it where it's something that feels the same, similar, but not as bad. Um, and I've tried to identify what it is that um, is associated with the, the injury and I've avoided it and I'm fortunately knock on wood, there's not much wood in here, but uh, other than the platform, uh, I, I have found that it has been in fact more variation in the movements that's been the thing that has led to the injury quite reliably actually. No, well, I was going to say that's also that what was happening at the time is I've been an equipped lifter for eight years and was like, ah, classic world sounds fun. So let's continue to do as much volume, all classic, and I'll be fine. And didn't work that way. Yeah. I mean, we adapt, right? And your, your body adapts only to what you ask it to adapt to. Uh, and at a certain point, uh, when you're been doing it for so long, then the difference between whether or not the bar is high bar or low bar, whether or not you're wearing a suit or not, is enough, I think, that it can dictate an overtraining injury. For sure. Um, So you you talked a little bit there about kind of bouncing back and forth between raw and and equipped work. Mm there's obviously a lot of variability in the sort of schools of thought of how much, how often, uh, how frequently, you know, with what intensity and those kinds of things. How do you personally balance your raw versus equipped work? Is there a sort of set out phasic structure where most of the time is is raw and then within a certain number of weeks from a competition you throw on the equipment? Mm-hmm. Um, or are you kind of in and out of it year round? Just give us a, a bit of a snapshot of that. And what, what does that look like for you on a uh, a meat prep or even an annual plan? Yeah, that's uh, that's a big question for sure. And the way even I just answer, in sort of very general terms. Yeah, yeah. No, is is the first thing is is that just like there's variation between people, there's variation within someone's career. And so for mm-hmm. me, uh, it has evolved over time and changed. Um, but to give an example, hopefully if this is useful, um, I'll go back to. Um, couple of the more substantial recent training cycles I've done. So most recently I competed at nationals um, this past February. Uh, and for that competition, I was in my bench shirt 
essentially on average a little more than weekly or about weekly for almost a year. Okay. Um, and for the squat suit, I was in it, uh, in that cycle by virtue of my back, I had re-injured it in the previous cycle when I tried to prepare for a competition um, from uh, what I had attributed to uh, very frequent uh, straps up squatting. Uh, I find that's a little harder on the back. So I was in my uh, knee wraps. I'm always in knee wraps. So I was in knee wraps always. And then I started introducing suit bottoms. Uh, I believe if I recall correctly, it was week 14 out weekly. And then I only had actually two straps up sessions uh, at, oh, okay. at uh, about four weeks out. And about my my heavy one was, I think it was like 19 days out, is usually around when I might have my heaviest. And I was in my deadlift suit twice because I don't think there's a lot of utility to training regularly in a deadlift suit. Interesting. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I mean, that's a, that's a, I think something that's probably pretty valuable for people to hear you know, sort of different ways that people approach that frequency. Cause obviously, you know, my own training, I'm using a lot of singles, a lot of, uh, always in the equipment, you know, uh, week after week for usually six or seven week blocks. Um, but yeah, no, that's, that's, that's cool. Thank you for that. Yeah. Well, just to be extra provocative, uh, I actually didn't do a single in my squat suit once in that entire training cycle. Yeah. The, <laughs> right. the heaviest I did was that it's on Instagram at three thirty four double. The uh, double. Yeah. 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 No singles. I don't think there's anything magical to singles, personally. Um, I'll, maybe I'll come back to that for a second. Yeah. In, in a second. Um, so you said 19 days out, you kind of target your heaviest squat workout? Yeah. Over the years, it's been anywhere from, I think the closest I've done it was 17, and the furthest out I've done it is like 26, 28, which I think is a little excessive. But. So can I, if you don't mind, can I ask... So say 19 days out, uh, presumably you're squatting heavy once a week. So then 12 days out, like what, what does that work out? What are the workouts beyond that look like? Yeah. Uh, so my training tends to be that uh, I, I have no interest or little interest in there being like absolute PRs in training. So um, I, for example, you know, when I did that 334 double, I maybe could have squatted. 347 that day or something and that was weighing you know 85 86 kilos and then at national I squatted 353 um, and that's perhaps one of my less impressive training versus competition numbers um, so beyond that my my emphasis after the heaviest work is really uh, maintaining skills and recovering uh, and so I do have uh, and in my last two main training cycles so world games and then nationals this year I do have one more a looser suit session, often in the middle there. So at uh, 11 days out or something like that, um, there'll be one more. And then the rest of it for squatting is actually belt wrap. Okay. So usually it'll be in the end there, it's about uh, two, yeah, usually two squat workouts a week. One or two of those workouts will have two squats in them um, in belt wrap. Yeah, up to about at most 80%, beyond 80% in the last uh, two and a half weeks of training. Yeah. All right. So you said you have a looser suit. Is that so that, that looser suit workout is that straps up? That's normal full competition gear? Yeah. For example, okay. in this last one, it was, I, if I recall correctly, uh, it was I worked up to, I think it was 297 or 300 or something like that for a double. Okay. And just so people can reference this without having to look it up, what was your opener at Nationals? 
Uh, my opener at nationals was, oh, 330. Okay. Yeah. So then you doubled 334. Is that right? That's correct. Okay. So you doubled just a little more in your opener sort of thing, 19 days out. That's basically. correct. Okay. Yes. Yeah. And so just because I'm, I'm really kind of enjoying this look into your training, yeah. um, what, what does your sort of weekly frequency look like uh, on average spread across yeah. uh, the three competition lifts? Um, yeah. So uh, again, um, my life has been quite uh, variable for the last few years, especially mm -hmm. the last year. Um, for those that don't know, I'm in medical school, so I've been doing my uh, rotations. So for example, when you're doing your rotation in general surgery, you don't sleep about every fourth night. Uh, and so that puts a lot of constraints, not only on when you can train, because obviously the, the day before you don't sleep, you start work at six. So I, though I am an early riser, I don't, I, I, it's not often that I'll train at three in the morning. I've done it before, but you don't train. And then the next day you feel like shit. So you don't do, you're not gonna do heavy squat the next day. Right. So anyway, so that changes it a lot. Versus mm. if you're doing psychiatry and you work from nine to three, then you have plenty of time to train. Um, right. <laughs> so so uh, let's start with the easier example. When I've had flexible lifestyle, so when I was a grad student preparing for World Games, mm -hmm. um, then my frequency would usually be uh, a bench um, would be anywhere from, you know, if you include like multiple sessions in a day, it'd be anywhere from like, five to I've done work weeks with like eight or nine benches in a week. Mm -hmm. um, deadlift is almost always two days, two heavy days. There might be a third day in there. There's often a third day if I'm being frank. Um, and then squat is usually three day, three times squatting. Um, and some of those days may be like a morning and an evening squat or whatever, but three days a week. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And then bench would be five days a week, some doubles or, and then, deadlift will be two or three days a week, sometimes doubles. So you're doing five to six training days throughout the week when, when things are a little more open and flexible? Definitely. That's correct. Yes, usually. Okay. Yeah, yeah. And a total of like when things are like for World Games, I was doing usually about 10 sessions a week. Okay. But these days, especially, um, like I said, in med school, it was more like fitting it into five sessions a week was what I could manage. Uh, mm -hmm. And when you have other sources of stress, then in fact, you can you can do a reasonable job of at least maintaining strength um, with less work, um, obviously, because too much work then becomes detrimental. Definitely. Yeah. So I'll take a left turn off of training for a second and going more into the schooling part. Mm -hmm. uh, in 2019, you won the three minute thesis competition <laughs> with your presentation, gene and cell therapies for diabetes. Yeah. So I'll put three minutes on the clock. And do you want to go over that? <laughs> what accounts for one in six deaths and one in four health? Yeah, I, I probably remember most of that three minutes. I practiced it. I, I don't know how many times. I, I watched it today. It's actually, it was actually very interesting. Thank um, you. Yeah. Uh, so, sorry, going off that. Uh, you have a passion for research and science, obviously. Mm -hmm. um, do you look at your training in the same, through the same lens? Or is it more like a mental break for you in that regard? Or I assume you're very analytical about it, but. Yeah. I mean, I think that the best ways to make decisions is with the best available evidence. So whether or not you're dealing with a, a coronavirus outbreak or you're dealing with diabetes or you're dealing with training, um, why not use the best available information to make your decisions? Uh, and so the best available information to me when I think about training is what have I done in the past and what is the outcome? Um, so I have very detailed training logs um, for most of 
the last eight years, I guess. Uh, and I have the logs of the outcomes of them. And so that's how I make decisions. And that's how I train. Yeah. So what are some of the um, variables that you're tracking in your training? And uh, how do you use that to inform like future training? I, I guess, you know, more generally, maybe we don't have to get too specific. We don't want, but no, I'm, I'm happy. feel free to get as specific as you want. Yeah, sure. So um, without making it incomprehensible, because I know I have a tendency to go off on tangents. So um, start from the basics is that I think that as an absolute minimum, uh, you should definitely know how much volume are you doing, which I think that there's utility to both look at total tonnage, which is useful, as well as number of reps and number of sets and the average intensity of that work. So that's a good basic way to do it. I think that average intensity is not uh, specific enough and you should also consider the distributions. So for example, if I did you know, five sets of five at 70% and five singles at 98%, my average intensity is gonna only be like 74%. But that week is very different from a week where I just did five sets of five at 74% or six sets of five or whatever. Um, so I think that those are useful to track. And then, as I said, something that I also think is useful to track is that you know, there's this kind of ethereal idea of, oh, I'm fatigued, I'm overreached. So like, what does that even mean, right? But I like to try and make it objective and useful. And so the way that I track that is I say, well, how hard was the set? You know, if I know that, for example, um, I in the past looked at my RPE and made an RPE table that's reasonably accurate to me. It's not super accurate because it doesn't need to be. Um, but what I'll do is I'll do my, my set and I'll say, oh yeah, I did my five triples today at 80% and the RPEs were six and a half, seven, seven, seven and a half, seven and a half. And I'll say that, okay, my expected RPE for this set was seven or whatever it was. So each of those sets deviates from expected and I have this RPE deviation number that I track. And so I'll know that on average when I do my training that my RP deviation for belt wrap training cycles, the squat RP deviation will be on average plus 0.3 or something like that. So then I know that one week I'm doing my training and it's like, man, my RP deviation on my belt wrap squats was plus one and a half. So on average, the RP I rated for the sets is one and a half higher than expected. Then it's an objective measure that says like, you're obviously tired. And usually you can mm -hmm. find an obvious explanation for it, but maybe you can't. Uh, and so that's how you can modify training because it's easy to sit down and be like, okay, in the past I did a training cycle with this many triples and doubles and whatever else at certain intensities, but no training cycle is going to be identical. They're going to be remarkably similar. We're not talking about like changing them 40%, but the change to change them, you know, 6% is actually huge. I mean, think about if I asked you to do triples at 80 and you accidentally load 86% or 74%, that's massive big difference. Uh, and so that's kind of the amount of modification that happens. And so I try and do my best guess for number of reps that I'll do at a certain intensity, right out of training program. I usually write it out in about four week ranges. And then throughout each training cycle, I kind of aim to maintain the reps planned unless I'm having very poor performance. My RPs are way higher than I might reduce. Uh, and then modify the intensity a little bit. So a little lighter, a little heavier as needed, such that my RPE deviation is as desired. So it might not always be the same desired. So for example, when I'm you know six to four weeks out, I would like to be tired. I would like to have higher RPEs. Whereas when I'm doing you know the training cycle and it's you know 20, 24 weeks out uh, and I don't have a competition nearby, 
I'd like to have it wave a little bit. So maybe some weeks I'll have negatives and some weeks I'll have positives. Um, mm. And so that's how I'll modify and adjust during the cycle. Interesting. Yeah. So as far as the, then I feel like I missed Ryan's original question. No. As far as the, the initial writing of the program, then it will be basically, okay, this is a program or that I'm preparing for, you know, from 12 to eight weeks out. And historically, I've had good success with this, you know, with a one suit bottom session each week for this session. So I'll pencil that in and then I'll say, I also want to have approximately this much total volume. So I have this much remaining volume of belt wrap work. I'll make a plan based on that. I'll do the same for a bench and deadlift, of course. Um, and then uh, I'll write it out just the same as anyone else does. Uh, and then you look at your final numbers and you tweak them such that the trajectory of the average RPE expected is as desired. So again, for example, if I'm doing um, you know, my cycle, you know, 16 to 12 weeks out tends to be a cycle where I don't wish to build a lot of fatigue. So I might have expected RPEs a little lower on average. So something like six and a half or seven. And then when I'm going towards the hardest training weeks, I might have, you know, expected RPEs upwards of an average of eight and then aim for some RPE deviation that's positive at the same time, such that I will start to see quite a few nines start to pop up in the training um, and then fill in the requirements based on those desired parameters. And it really fills itself in once you make those parameters. Mm -hmm. So <clears throat> you see you're, you're very sort of on the on the volume, all the, all the, on the tonnage tracking and using that as a, as a sort of metric uh, of work done. Now, <clears throat> if you were to look at your training from year to year or even, you know, three years to three years, is your sort of goal with driving the adaptation continually to see that volume number rise mm -hmm. consistently and continually? And to what point is that unsustainable? And then we need to start looking at other variables to try to introduce to create some kind of novel stimulus. And how do you sort of approach that that concept or that problem? Uh, you said that it, it's starting to become apparent that you're not able to handle what you once did. Yeah. So how have you adapted to that problem starting to crop up? Have you changed mm -hmm. sort of the metrics that you're tracking and, and looking at? Or uh, wh what does that look like for you? Mm -hmm. What's your thought process? Yeah. Um, well, I mean, before going into more details of this, let's start by stepping back at the big picture. And again, remembering that the key goal here is we're practicing a skill. So the first priority before you worry about number of reps and intensities is that are you doing good quality practice in your training? If you are, that's great. Then we can start worrying about more specifics. Uh, and so as far as the specifics now beyond insisting that training is good practice, the way that it has changed over the years is, as you alluded to, doing more and more work. That's absolutely the case. And so leading up to World Games uh, in 2017, I was at about my highest ever, I do think. Um, I had very flexible work as a grad student at the time uh, and had a high priority competition coming up. Uh, and so my volume got, I mean, I think it's very high. Just of the competition movements, I had, I had multiple weeks over 100,000 kilos. Um, so if you do the math of, you know, a 200 kilo average weight, that's 500 reps. It's a, it's a lot of reps. Um, mm. Now, after that, I was frustrated with the outcome of that competition um, and 
decided to move on to do some rock training. Uh, and I, again, was doing training and, uh, you know, if anyone's interested, um, I, I can share if you want to see training log, or for example, if you look up those, those generic Shaco programs, it looked an awful lot like the master sport international class type training, if, you, if anyone's curious. Mm -hmm. Um, now the overall tonnage because the weights were lower was actually lower. Um, but that's when I hurt myself. Um, because I think that the lifts were different. And so I hurt myself and I got back to training. And again, I had a re-injury that fall and the following fall, actually, um, which was very frustrating. Mm -hmm. And both of the times when the re-injuries came, it was at the peak volume weeks um, when I was getting up to, and I never actually, in those training cycles, I was being more conservative. I never actually got over 100,000 kilos in any week, um, but I was in like the high 90s. And that's when I hurt myself. Um, and so in my preparation, most recently for nationals, thankfully it was, uh, healthy, no injuries, no problem. Uh, and, uh, it was, it was about my average training, uh, over the 16 weeks. If I recall the numbers correctly, it was something like 13% lower, um, okay. than my previous, uh, average weekly, uh, volume, which was really startling to me. Cause again, when, when I was describing, um, the type of variation I've seen in my, planning and fluctuation, 13 is a really big percent. Yeah. Um, so it has gone down and now post-nationals, I am also training at a little more volume and it's it's going well. Uh, and so I think that uh, perhaps it's a new normal again, for whatever reason, I'm, I'm almost 30 and I'm old, I don't know. I work <laughs> longer hours. I, uh, you know, I've hope, hopefully the better explanation is that I'm stronger. You know, people <laughs> maybe at the, once you get to a certain level, the volume does need to go down if the weights are heavier, which is somewhat rational. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, no, it's a little lower now. Mm -hmm. And again, the only reason I know that is because I've tracked it and seen inputs and outputs. And regrettably, the output had been injury and re-injury. Um, but if that's what it takes to learn and figure out, then I'm a slow learner. It took me two re-injuries, but it is what it is. I think that's that's pretty consistent with powerlifting is those are often the, the things that make people learn uh, yeah. and for, force people to learn. Um, I mean, I think we all have a, uh, when you're passionate about the sport, you have this urge to want to do as much as you can, right? You, you mm -hmm. don't want, it's not uh, the passivity of doing less or resting is always, I find the, the hardest part. Uh, it's the active part that even when it's painful and suffering, uh, somehow it feels easier. So, uh, yeah. I think you're probably right that those of us that really love the sport, that's how we, we have to learn our lessons once in a while. So I, uh, I've heard some stories and I don't know if you remember a gentleman named Ryan Pelche mm -hmm. from, uh, he was a guy that I trained with way back in the day. Um, now I've heard stories of a, of a 93 kilo or maybe a little bit more, uh, Adam Ramsey back in, in Alberta. Yeah. Stin says he might have pictures from that meet somewhere, although mm -hmm. not sure where to, where we would find those. <laughs> um, so, I mean, you mentioned earlier that hypertrophy is not really, is not really something that's, uh, that's big on your, on your sort of, uh, when you're setting up the parameters for your training programs and, and protocols. Um, so how, how was it for you at that body weight? Was it a, a sort of a, a quality of life discomfort that caused you to, to shy away from being bigger at your, at your height? Um, and sort of what were the, the components of your decision to stay in the 83s? Cause you, you don't seem to 
bounce around or fluctuate in body weight wildly or, or, or even very much as you would see a lot of other competitive lifters, you know, sort of easing into or, or, or pushing a little bit into higher weight classes and cutting down and eventually filling out bigger and bigger weight classes. But you seem pretty set in the 83s. So can you sort of take me through, first off, the, the 93 days uh, and maybe talk a little bit about why, you know, we're probably not going to see that again or, or maybe we will. But mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah, I uh, yeah the heaviest I ever weighed in was uh, 100.0 once. Um, Very nice. Yes, it was Very it was nice. a goal of mine. I uh, yeah I was in the the mindset of just perma bulk, you know, the most stereotypical you can imagine, 19 or 20 year old that just was thinking that gym is life and bigger is better. Um, so, and five oh yeah, and... man! You can, <laughs> I shouldn't admit this, but you can find the video of my nationals in 2012 where I had to cut from 98 and a half to 93. Um, I, uh, my belt, I had a, I had a, uh, I can't remember if it was a medium or a large insert lever, but I couldn't clip it on the biggest hole. So I competed with my belt, like it's a lever, but it was unlevered, like it was open. It was open, okay, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> uh, Ray so, Williams style. Yeah. Oh uh, yeah, I guess so. <laughs> um, so, uh, <laughs> yeah, that's some fun recollecting. I used to like go to university at the time and people always thought I was carrying a loaf of bread with me, but what it was, was I would make like seven sandwiches and like, I didn't have time for anything <laughs> but meat and bread and mayonnaise. So you'd see me in the morning, like just with a lineup of bread all down the Island of the counter. And then just like meat, 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 mayonnaise, and then stack them up back into the sandwich bag. Cause I'd eat almost a whole loaf every day. Excellent. Um, There's a quick little bulking tip for anybody. Yeah. Yeah. Anyone that says they can't gain weight, they just don't make enough sandwiches or drink enough chocolate milk. (laughs) So (laughs) I made it from, uh, I was about like maybe like 70 kilos when I started uh, lifting to about a hundred in like a year and a half. So, yeah. Um, So I was, I had a little bit of a rounder face at the time. Uh, and so anyways, uh, what ended up happening was I wanted to be competitive in the sport and I decided, well, maybe eating a little healthier was better. And I discovered that 83 fit me quite well. Uh, I spent, uh, five months, uh, in, uh, in 2012, or excuse me, not in 2012, in 2013, uh, in 2013, I was in, uh, um, uh, China teaching English with my wife, Jesse and the food was not what we were used to. So we ate less and I ended up just losing a lot of weight by virtue of that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then just stuck with 83. Um, and so I've been 83 ever since. And, you know, I'm, you know, my friends would say I'm five foot seven, but I'm five foot six. Um, and uh, <laughs> so, so 83, I think is a reasonable uh, size for me. Uh, certainly when I in the past tried to like, uh, gain weight slowly. I didn't find any rewards in my strength really. Um, and just felt like my belts were a little tighter. So, uh, it hasn't been something that I've been concerned with. I certainly, there's many lifters that I've looked up to that have stayed in the same weight class for a super long time. You know, obviously someone like Derislav Oleg is a great mm-hmm. obvious example. Who's been 75 or 74 kilos. He even competed at 67 and a half for a short while for the last 14 years or whatever it's been now. He's been working. But uh, there was benefit to moving up a weight class, so I've never really worked in it. Mm-hmm. And so then, in alignment with that, you brought up the idea of well, hypertrophy. And so I think that um, as 
uh, hypertrophy, as far as my interpretation of the literature, um, the biggest predictor of hypertrophy is going to be volume. Uh, now, obviously, that comes up to the question then of how do we define volume, and there's different ways to define it. Um, but with that in mind, ultimately, I do a lot of volume, as I've said. So there probably is uh, some hypertrophy benefit to it, and probably there, I have made very small gains over the last five or six years since I was a junior lifter in 2013 uh, of hypertrophy. But at the same time, um, you know, I'm I'm fairly filled out at 83. You know, when I'm again, you know, when I'm on weight, then I'm I think my my body fat is a, is good for me in terms of both the amount of effort I have with which to have the most restrictive or focused diet and the uh, weight that allows me to train the hardest. Having been, you know, in 2014. I did end up dieting and I got down to like 79 kilos and I was a bit leaner, but I definitely found that my training um, tolerance, my volume had to go down substantially. And so I wasn't making progress. So uh, I do find that maintaining a little heavier works better for me. Um, and if that means that I make small uh, hypertrophy progress each year, then I think that's great. And that's really all I'm looking for at this point. Uh, and it's sustainable for me. I feel healthy. Uh, in my balance of priorities in life, it works for me. Awesome. Yeah. Cool. There was a meet outdoors in Radcliffe where you yeah. competed at your biggest, I would guess. Is that I true? didn't compete actually. My wife, Jesse competed at that meet. I didn't though. I was coaching. Really? Okay. That's why like, so I've been trying to find this, these results for the last few days, looking up stuff for you. And I'm like, man, I remember Adam Ramsey being at this meet mm -hmm. and being like, bigger Adam Ramsey, but there's like no results for it. I'm like, this is so weird. I can't find this anywhere, but I yeah. guess that makes sense. If Jesse yeah, that's, competed. That's around when I was hundred kilos at that time. Okay. Fair enough. All right. So I, it's not like the results were scrubbed from the internet. Somehow. It's just <laughs> I bribed the, the right people. I didn't yeah, have exactly. that low wills to show up online. Yeah. <laughs> All right. I'm done with that topic then. Yeah. Uh, actually, oddly, I've noticed that a couple, the, the, the two meets I've bombed at, they're not on the CPU, uh, the CPU uh, record, and I didn't bribe anyone, so I don't know why that happened. <laughs> he says on a public forum, I didn't bribe anybody. No. <laughs> <laughs> so you bombed in, uh, just to go off that, you bombed uh, before, uh, in January this year, before Nationals, right? Uh, uh, it was October, November. Or October, sorry. Um, yeah. And then you ended up opening Raw on the bench at Nationals. I did. Is that just... Uh, kind of like shadows of your past kind of hanging over you and just want to be safe for world games qualification sort of thing. Yeah. That was my, my balance of priorities with, uh, it was a very difficult decision if I'm being frank. Um, but I world games is every four years. Uh, and I just, I didn't want to compromise my chances for that. I've worked a lot of years. Um, so I decided that uh, with a raw bench, I would be able to have a, a high enough total to make the nationals team. So, um, I decided to do that. Yeah. All right. Yeah. And I did bomb in bench in the fall that year, actually, uh, or in like last meet. Uh, so it was certainly on my mind. Um, but uh, I think that you guys can probably attest to the fact that equipped lifting, if, uh, if you approach the lift with doubt, you don't make the lift. Um, so I think that uh, sport mindset is very important for equipped lifting. Uh, so I do not ruminate on my past. I certainly think that uh, 
sometimes your greatest achievements come from times that you've been most disappointed in yourself, but uh, it doesn't come from negative rumination. So yeah, like, and I remember watching you throw a shirt on and I, you missed your second attempt. I did. Yeah. And then got your third attempt. Yeah. And I swapped my shirt for my third attempt. Yeah. And all I said to myself was, well, if Ramsey can throw a shirt on and hit a bench, then I can change my shirt to hit a bench. So I know I can do it. Yeah, you <laughs> so crushed I'm... it. That was a phenomenal <laughs> bench. Yeah. Only because you got yours, I'm sure. That was oh. that was the confidence boost for me. <laughs> I'll take credit for sure. Thanks. Yeah, you're welcome. Yeah. Yeah, that was a weird. I mean, I've seen people do that in meets before where they open raw and then put on a shirt. And I've always been the guy that's like, oh, how can you do that? That's unacceptable. <laughs> <laughs> so, how could you do that, Bryce? Uh, yeah. oh, put my foot in my mouth at least. Yeah. That's okay. No, we call I, that, that a That was price. definitely my first, my first raw worlds or my first, yeah, my first raw worlds. No, my first equipped worlds. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and it, it, from that point until just recently, Rhea would not admit that I was an <laughs> equipped powerlifter. <clears throat> so I've just recently solidified myself as a, as a real equipped lifter yeah, because, of, because of that. You have to open, you have to open an adventure. That's, that's the requirement. Yeah. Uh, that's the rules. That's fair. So in, in talking about uh, shirts and, and swapping and all that kind of stuff, we're going we're gonna to try out a little bit of a new sort of segment on you. And I've kind of enjoyed discussing with some of our guests recently a little bit more of the specifics of the equipment and, and what they wear, what they like about it, uh, and some of that kind of stuff. So we'll, we'll maybe get into a little bit of this stuff. And, and like I said earlier, if there's anything that you, you know, is a, is a bit of a trade secret you keep a little close to the chest, just let us know. But um, so first off, stock gear or custom gear. Um, if stock, what sizes do you wear? And uh, what's your what's your sort of outfit look like? Um, so uh, my first gear that I started with was uh, a, a Fury from Titan and then an F6 from Titan were my first two ventures. Mm -hmm. uh, and the only squat suit I've ever squatted in is a Super Centurion. It's also, uh, I deadlifted in a Velocity at one point, but I also deadlift in a, a Super Centurion as well, just like squat. Um, and after the F6 and Fury, ever since I've benched in Super Katanas, uh, and I now bench in the low cut version of the Super Katana. Uh, mm -hmm. As far as sizes, uh, I sort of lose track of this, but um, my current gear is uh, the squat suit is a custom. Uh, the one that I deadlifted is actually a modified 38, but it's taken in a lot. Uh, so the straps are taking a ton. Like I said, I'm short uh and then the hips i take the hips in as well um okay. they're not taking in a ton on a deadlift suit because uh in my experience and i've heard this from others um i find that i get a lot more benefit from a deadlift suit that has wicked tight straps and not excessively tight hips uh, and i find that the way the reason that that happens is that if you have very tight hips on a deadlift suit um again i'm really only an expert on sumo so I'll keep it sumo. Uh, if you have very tight hips on a deadlift suit, uh, I find that having, uh, you have a, like a rounded lumbar spine a little bit. And you, it also, for whatever reason, it always makes me deadlift a little over the bar. So that's where you get that pop off the floor and then it past the knees, you're stuck and you can't mm -hmm. lock it out. Mm -hmm. Um, because for me, I, I think that, uh, there's really no such thing as a weak lockout in a sumo deadlift. There's just poor position off the floor. Um, so I deadlift with very tight straps and looser hips. Um, and then my squat suit, it is a custom and it's kind of like based on comparing it to the 38, it's probably like a, I don't know, like 35 or 36 in the legs. It's very, it was 
the first time I put it on, I put it on and then I couldn't squat in it because I was in too much pain. Um, yeah. And yeah I, it, I'd like it looked think, really tight at nationals. Yeah. That, it, oh, God. Cool. Yeah. The first time I put it on, I, oh, I seriously, like I've heard of people taking out scissors to their squat suits. And again, mm-hmm. of course, being me, I've been, always been like, oh, you're so weak and embarrassing. <laughs> but I seriously, <laughs> seriously thought about getting scissors for it. Um, <laughs> So yeah, and then again, tighten straps and the hips on my squat suit are very tight as well. They're probably, I don't know, they're probably tighter than a 36. Um, so um, they're pretty tight, um, two percent churn. And then my bench shirts, uh, it's custom, but I think it's kind of like around a 42 chest plate and then like very tightened sleeves. You know, I don't do a ton of curls, so. Um, my, uh, I, I won't, I, that's definitely something I won't share is the diameter of my biceps, but, um, <laughs> the, the, <laughs> the sleeves are probably, I don't know, 38 or something or 39. They, they're quite tight. I can't really get them on all the way. Um, but that's also something that I, I've discovered works well with the squat suit so, or with the venture. So there's the gear I wear. Now, did you have more questions about gear? Uh, I'm just going to take a, a little bit there. Um, so you mentioned uh, the sizes a bit. Now I talked to you a little bit at nationals about modifies to your modifications to your bench shirt. Yeah, and you mentioned that you have taken in the chest plate on your bench shirt multiple times. So um, just go over the mindset on this <laughs> a little bit, and how how successful it's been for you. Uh, I've never taken in a super katana. I took in the Fury and the F six that I had many years oh, ago. Okay. Um, one of them, I took it in, had the best workout of my life, and then the next workout, it went. <laughs> um, but I didn't learn my lesson, so I tried again, and I took in the, the F6. And I, the way I took it in was essentially where you just you look at like the the sleeves, how they have like the curve here. I just basically folded it inside out and stitched a half moon along it mm-hmm. um, to like tighten the chest plate, and it, it worked out fine actually. That was the shirt I benched in at nationals in 2012. Um, so, but I haven't done that. I've been. Uh, I found that the like the super katanas, their chest plates, they don't really stretch out much. So um, I haven't needed to take one in, um, but I do take in the sleeves regularly. Right. Yeah. Do you have like a, a rule for that? Like I've heard, I've heard Blaine say, or, or I've heard tell of Blaine saying, it's like yes. third, third, fourth hand information. But uh, basically, whenever you get a touch, take in the sleeves. Yeah, was, was something that I had heard thrown around. Is that do you have any sort of heuristics or, or loose rules like that for when it's time to to yeah. tighten things up? You know, I I I I feel that I'm still a beginner in a venture. To be honest with you, um, I you know I I benched like around 240 for like four years, and then I was like, okay, I need to put on a tighter venture, and then that has led me to my more recent records of. 255, I guess, is my best um, at World Games. Um, and through that training, I sort of just like put on the shirt once a week. And once I felt like I was confident in it, then I'd push myself and tighten the sleeve slightly. So I don't have a good heuristic. I think that I probably have a lot to optimize on my bench shirt. Um, but yeah, as long as you can get it on and I've had a couple of good sessions, I'll tighten it. Fair enough. Yeah. Do you have a do you have a specific uh, rule or heuristic for how you do your ventures? Basically, as soon as it stops, as soon as it uh, goes on too easy, 
Like I, I kind of have a feel for how difficult it should be to get a shirt on. Yeah. And if it, if it goes on easier than that one day, I'm going to go home and spend, spend time sewing the sleeves up that night. Yeah. Are you like me just a by hand needle? I just do it by hand. I use like a nylon upholstery thread and I learned the back stitch and mm -hmm. I put something on TV and spend 40 minutes per sleeve and just do it myself. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like upholstery thread was something you and I discussed uh, I think through it was, one of those yeah. DMs. Yeah. 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 I it works too. great. I, I'm probably like the worst person. I, I take my sleeves at the worst times. It's like, Hey, we're getting close. I should take my sleeves in so I can wear it on my shirt. <laughs> and then training goes right downhill. But um, yeah, we use, uh, we actually use a machine. Um, mm -hmm. My wife, my Rhea's mom does it for us, but just a machine with regular thread and a denim needle. And it's really nice because I don't have to do anything yeah. and poke my fingers. But <laughs> I don't know <laughs> I use pliers, I find, especially tightening yeah. in the, I always take in the hips of my spot suits. Um, yeah, I haven't done that yet. Yeah, it's well, the material's super thick. You have to like pull it through. Although uh, maybe I'll get a thimble and I'll start looking more dignified. I have a thimble and I went back to using pliers ah. on, on my sleeves. Good to know. All right. So we went over suit and shirt. Uh, what about knee wraps? What are your favorite knee wraps? Oh, yeah. I uh, I like the um, um, signature golds. Um, I, I think personally, like in my opinion the really the most important thing with a new app is just how tight it is um and then i think that once you have it as tight as possible um then you may as well just have more wrap um so the signature golds are like quite hefty they're like they're very heavy there's more material to them um so i've found that when you put them on equivalently tight to other types of new apps that i get more benefit from them um, they're also not super stretchy. So I know that I've done like a video with Bryce. Mm -hmm. Um, so for self wrapping, I've found uh, good success to be able to get them on quite tight, um, without pre-rolling or needing any help, uh, and getting a lot of benefit. Like I get more out of my knee wraps than my squat suit. So, um, that's worked really well for me. Yeah. And then do you have like a sort of, uh, feeling of when they're retired, like, do you use them for so many sessions or it's just like, no, those are worn out now sort of thing. I have the same pair I've trained in for, I don't know how long I've had them for ever since they started making signature colds a few years ago. Um, and then I have two other pairs that I've like used for competition where they've had like a couple of sessions in them. And then before each meet, I'm like, yeah, this one feels good. And I put it on for a session or two and then I'm good to go. Yeah. So again, like I said, I really just think it's how tight they are. Um, there's like some subtle differences you find, like some of them feel a little more cardboardy and some of them feel a little more stretchy. And so the ones I have, I, I quite like because they're, they're slightly more rubbery feeling to them, less cardboardy, which I like, but I think probably it just has to do with it when you use them, they soften up a little bit or something. Yeah. Um, now, do you notice any sort of trade-off with those being so much material that they are harder than any other wrap to uh, get? tight because i think that was my big reason that i don't use the signature golds especially self-wrapping or gold signatures whatever mm -hmm. um is that i find that that they're just such a challenging wrap to get as tight as something like a thp or titanium where you can more easily stretch it and i think especially for a self-wrap i mean that's that's something that i certainly found um mm -hmm. do you do you have a comparison like have you used other wraps much or have you just kind of gotten so used to the feel of those wraps that it, it doesn't really matter or or that there isn't a much of a comparison mm -hmm. 
I mean, the, the other wraps that I've tried is I've, I've used THPs um, and I've used like the insert grippers and the old the Z stripes, I think they're called, the red ones. The insert ones. Iron Zs? I yeah, I think that's yeah. the name. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, Ryan's the, the uh, expert grandfather of the group, I guess. Um, <laughs> so I just sell them so <laughs> oh yeah well, i just meant because they were they were like the the knee wrap like 12 years ago or whatever um so uh, anyways um so i have found like the grippers like i've heard a lot of people have a lot of success but i just found them so unbearably painful oh, they hurt <laughs> way more than they were oh <laughs> so I, that was just like a no-go like i remember being like these gotta be good like lots of good squatters wear them and i remember like cranking them on as tight as i could for a session and i was like this is gonna be good and I like literally did one rep and I was like, God, it's just not worth it. I put them on Craigslist and sold them. Um, <laughs> uh, and then as far as like the THPs, I mean, I, again, like I said, like it's a matter of how tight they are. So uh, I don't find THPs a lot, e much easier to wrap actually than the, than the signature bolts in my experience. Um, I think that the thing that makes it hard to wrap knees is when people don't hold like close enough to the knee. So like if you try and stretch like too much fabric, then yeah, you're right. Like stretching the signature bolts is a disaster. Um, so I think that I figured out a way that works good for me to be able to get them on. What I think is tight, I mean, I get like more than like 40 kilos under my knee wrap. So I think I'm probably doing okay. Um, yeah. But yeah, I'm not Making me want to go back and try those uh, yeah. the signature golds again. I haven't tried those things on in a while. Yeah. So, no, yeah, so I think that they're, they're definitely self-wrappable if you put in some practice and, and work like, yeah, you got to crank on them. Like it feels like mm. it them on really well. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Um, and then the last question we have in here is flats or heels for squatting? Yeah. Uh, for me and heels all the way. Um, yeah. I, uh, I, I, for a few reasons, um, like I think that um, I've yet to find a, a flat shoe that I find quite as solid and sturdy as like my Rome Leo twos that I squat in. Mm -hmm. Um, so like, for example, there's those nice Savo deadlifts that I got from Ryan that, uh, I like deadlifting. Mm -hmm. I think they're a good solid base. Um, but I still don't find them like as stable as a nicely done up, uh, Rome Leo two. Um, and then also for me, like I have like, it's obvious the limitation of calf flexibility for me. So like if you have me, if you were to film me right now, try and do a bodyweight squat without my shoes on, it'll look terrible all rounded over. And then you put my shoes on and all of a sudden I can do a squat that looks like a nice squat. Um, so that works really well for me. Uh, and associated with that, um, <laughs> when I hurt my back, I was also experimenting with the, with flat shoes and I was noticing that I didn't quite like the videos, but I thought maybe it'd be worth it. And then I hurt myself. So, uh, didn't seem uh, like the right choice for me. Fair enough. So I think Ryan, we got some uh, questions that we've collected from uh, from our listeners. So I'll let Ryan kind of dive into some of those. Sure. So the first one, um, and I think this is really interesting, and I I don't know how mm -hmm. long the conversation might be, but um, you've transitioned to a plant based diet now, right? Yeah, uh, I I eat vegetarian. I don't. I haven't okay. eaten full vegan, but I do eat vegetarian okay. with very little milk products. How do you, and I guess, um, first off, how long have you done that for? And then how did you find it affected your training or recovery at all? Or do you feel like it's been pretty good, uh, across the board? Yeah, it's been, it's been a little more than a year now. Um, and I think that, uh, you have to get used to it. So certainly at the start, it was, 
some challenges, um, just in terms of the fact that you know start eating a lot more legumes than you're used to. Maybe you have a little bit of a stomach ache here and there, but I've certainly gotten used to it. Uh, it didn't take long, so that's no problem. Um, and then you have to adapt to get a good macronutrient breakdown. So uh, it's challenging to get as high of a protein intake. Um, now, obviously, as someone who's pretty active, I eat quite a lot of calories. So if you're eating, you know, about on average, say 3,600 calories a day, it's not that hard to get, you know, 220 grams of protein, um, but it's not super easy. So I do have like a, a vegan protein powder I use that I order from Canadian Protein um, that uh, doesn't taste as good as whey, but it's fine. You shake it up. I never much care for the taste anyways. All these people that do like yeah. reviews on, oh, it's the most delicious. I'm like, I just chug it. So yeah. I don't know. <laughs> but, uh, so I do, I do probably have uh, two scoops of protein a day on average. Uh, and as far as impact on training, to be honest, I, I mean, I, it would be interesting to say some impact, good or bad. I haven't found any. I do find that uh, not eating rich, meat-heavy meals, I tend to not have as much like post-meal sleepiness. Um, so maybe that's a small benefit. Um, but sometimes I am a little more gassy than I used to be. So sometimes that makes it where it's like, yeah, I probably can't post that video on live <laughs> a comedy video. Anyway. Just turn the sound off. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so no, nothing much to say as far as the cost or benefit. Just as long as you're mindful, I can get good macronutrients. And, uh, and I certainly don't feel like a marathon runner. Right. Hasn't, hasn't changed the game. No, I mean, I have a, I had a small PR total, uh, back at nationals. So that was, uh, that was, as I said, having eaten, um, vegetarian for about a year at the time. So I'm satisfied something that I, uh, would like to stick with and intend to be key to do so. Sweet. Um, how about thoughts on self wraps versus getting wrapped? I know we talked a lot about wraps here, but have you experienced getting a, a really good stiff competition wrap from a coach or training partner or something? And how does that compare to what you're able to achieve alone? Like, is it, uh, is it solely, uh, uh, basically that you, you train alone, therefore you want to wrap yourself and, you know, try to have that consistency with competitions. Um, or yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Uh, the only competition I have experience I have with someone wrapping for me was uh, at uh, World Games. Ryan Fowler was kind enough to wrap my knees for me. Uh, and the main benefit I experienced with that was that you didn't have to exert your own energy to wrap your knees. So you're a little less panty going out for your squat, um, which is nice. Um, I'm used to it though. So I, it's not like super uncomfortable for me, but I definitely feel like my abs working pretty hard as I'm like straining to wrap. So that probably helped. Uh, and then he wrapped like at a very similar tightness to the way I'd wrap. So as far as then the performance on the lift, it was, it was the same. Um, so yeah, I train alone, so I need to wrap my own knees and then the competitions, I tend to be just find someone who can help out. And that's worked out really well for me. I don't have a, you know, like I said, I train here in this little nine by nine room alone. So I don't mm -hmm. have someone to consistently work with. Um, and then I'm also a bit of a control freak. So, um, right. I can do it the exact same way every single time. And that makes, gives me like one less thing to worry about. Mm -hmm. Um, and so that works for me as well. For sure. So, um, with the, uh, injury training raw for worlds, is there, has there ever been a look towards trying to do another raw worlds or is it, you're just going to focus on equipped with world games and stuff like that? 
I mean, for me, my focus has been for the last eight years, you know, World Games is being the thing that I really want to do. So as World Games has been equipped, that's been the focus. I wanted to do Raw because I thought it'd be a fun change, maybe a little bit of break, you know, something that's getting more attention in the sport as well. So I wouldn't, I thought it might be nice to, you know, have a little more awareness of myself as a lifter and then hopefully I could advocate for equipped lifting as well. Um, so now the World Games is pushed back to 2022, certainly no raw lifting before then. Um, but long term, I'm certainly open to doing it again, having hopefully learned some lessons about how to train in an effective and, and healthy way. Um, I, yeah, I think, I think I'll do it again, for sure. I mean, especially if World Games 2025 or 2029 is raw, be sure I'll be lifting raw. So... <clears throat> You seem to be a fan of, of straps down work, right? Like you kind of mentioned mm -hmm. that you'll you'll do even a lot more straps down work than straps up work, very minimal straps up work. Um, who hurt you? Why, why, <laughs> why, why do you hate yourself so much that you do straps down work? Uh, I, I think I just had a bad experience and, and hated it from the get go. But uh, on a more serious note, sort of what do you what do you see as the. Uh, the draw towards doing that much straps down work versus doing straps up work. And you kind of touched on this a little bit earlier, but maybe mm -hmm. you can expand on that a little bit. Yeah. Uh, I, I think that uh, with an effort of trying to train to practice the competition movement, you need to balance, especially as an equipped lifter, balancing hard, heavy equipped lifting with being able to actually train more than once a week is a difficult balance. Um, and so for me, in my experience, I found that, with straps down work, I can do really good quality reps uh, and a lot of them uh, and tolerate the training at a reasonable intensity. Um, and so that's been a trade-off that I've made in terms of a balance of having large training volumes and more specific work. Um, and I also find that um, the balance of like the support of having knee wraps on and having the suit bottoms on, I find that it, 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 um, it has like a balance of support for knee extension and hip extension, um, such that I find that I can do that training with really nice, consistent position and descending to depth. Uh, you don't need as much weight versus when I have straps up and all of a sudden the extra tension of the suit, I start to find that I really need a bit more weight to uh, get down um, mm -hmm. to a good depth. So I think that the straps down works really well. And it's just been something that's sort of established for me and uh, continues to work for me. Cool. So um, expand that a little bit. You, I assume you track your straps <laughs> down maxes versus your straps up maxes and kind of what's that ratio for you? Like you said, you get a lot of kilos out of knee wraps only. Yeah. Um, what, what do you see versus um, the numbers you hit with straps down versus straps up? You know, I've never done a max straps down set. Uh, I'd have to double check, but as I said, I'm not really a huge, you know, PR kind of guy. So oddly, I'm not someone who has like a detailed PR table despite all these metrics. I think I've tripled, I know I've doubled 305 straps down. I think I might have done a little more, but I think in my my training spreadsheet, I have my straps up max as 353 is my competition max. But I think I have my straps down as like 335 or something. Uh, and then my my calculated belt wrap max, which I've never actually done, 
Uh, I think I have this 322 or something like that, um, or 317 or something like that. I have to double check. I think maybe it's 317, yeah. Um, and then obviously my raw max is, is 262 and a half. Um, so basically like something like 90% uh, of your straps up for, well, a little more than that actually, 93% of your straps up would what, what you kind of think of for straps down max sort of thing. Yeah, I mean, I really just use it to calculate percentages right. in my training sheet. So I have no idea how accurate that is, but I think it's probably a reasonable guess. That's a pretty high percentage. That's that's all I was trying to get at. Yeah, oh like yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah, I think it's probably, I think probably 330 is a reasonable guess or 335. But again, just for consistency of tracking, I sort of like have many years ago, I sort of like picked a ratio and then I keep tracking my efforts at the sets. And so I think it's just useful to keep it like that. It doesn't really matter how accurate it is, but I'm sure I could squat at least 320 straps, straps down for sure. Yeah. So, um, you know, I think, I think you're a really sort of shining example of somebody who's, who's taken lifting very seriously while pursuing, um, some, some pretty intense education and now into uh, your residency. Did you say? You're, I'm you're still in med school now? actually. Yeah. Okay. yeah no, residency will start next year. Okay. Um, but, uh, you know, very much diving sort of headlong into both avenues of that. And you don't often see that. So do you have any sort of general tips or advice for somebody who's trying to manage, uh, you know, a, a high level of, of education as well as, uh, being a high level lifter or somebody who puts a lot of priority on their, on their lifting? Well, thanks. That's very kind of you to say, um, you know, I think that, uh, just like anyone, including two gentlemen I'm talking to now, the reality is, is it's just a, it's a balance of priorities and time. Uh, so you have to decide what are your priorities and what do you want to spend your time on? Because, you know, ultimately the only resource of any value anyone really has is their time. Uh, so I live my life very simply. I have very few things that I care about and I spend my time exclusively on them. So, um, you know, I have training, which is a priority that I fit in. I have my school, which is a priority that I fit in. You know, I have the things outside of lifting that are required to be a good lifter, like getting consistent sleep. I'm in bed before nine pretty much every day. Uh, I, you know, try and prepare good food. And then I have my, my wife and my dogs and that's about it. Um, and I have a gym set up at home. I have, you know, even though I have only like a 700 square foot home, 100 square feet of it or whatever is the gym. Um, you know, I live close to work so that I don't have to commute a long distance. Uh, you know, we, we, when we do cook, we do large prep quantities so that we don't have to cook often. So um, that's really the way that it's worked for me is just remembering that it's all about time. Uh, and so I really take it seriously. And I've even done things like track my days in 50 minute increments so that I can see how am I spending my time and just to remind myself like like what did I get out of you know three hours of social media this past week was that really would I would I have preferred that or would I preferred to have you know an hour with Jesse and an hour of training and an hour of, of studying and it's a it's a really easy decision for me um, mm -hmm. and I think that's how I managed to fit it in and I, I'm sure you guys uh, have to do the same to fit in your busy schedules and the things that matter to you and it's not that there's a right answer for what matters. It's just a matter of deciding what matters and living in accordance with your values. So you're saying you probably haven't binge watched Tiger King yet, basically. <laughs> you know, I watched the first episode and I, I just didn't pursue it further. <laughs> <laughs> one of the lucky ones, I think. 
<laughs> Which should I? Would you recommend? Does it get better? Yeah. It uh, just keeps getting weirder. Yeah. No, it just uh, gets worse mostly. Okay. <laughs> All right. So we have an anonymous question here uh, from a listener. I'm going to call Bryce K. Now let's let's go with uh, B Crab Shack. Uh, what are your thoughts on reps and gear? Uh, hey, I mean, as I said, I I do tons of. Uh, uh, work in knee wraps, which is almost all threes to sixes. So that's great. I do lots of work in suit bottoms, which is mostly doubles and triples. I do some fours and fives, but the, the, the line of being able to do good quality reps versus not having an RPE 10 is very narrow. So I don't tend to do a lot of those, um, but I have, uh, and then in bench shirts back when I used to bench in like loose shirts, um, I would do doubles and triples because I could, I could touch and press double and triples. So it worked okay. But in my more recent shirt that I've been training in the last couple of years, I, I can barely press what I can touch. So there's not really the option. Uh, and then as far as deadlift, like I said, I, I don't find there being a lot of utility to be in a deadlift suit regularly. So I really just do like two sessions, which will have like, yeah, they'll have like a couple of doubles and then a couple of singles or something like that. Um, but that's it. So I think that it's perfectly reasonable, um, especially in squat to do reps in uh, a suit and wraps. That is as the most positive they're... answer you've gotten yet, Bryce. <laughs> <laughs> well, it, it, the thing is, is as long as they're good reps, like this is the whole point, right? We're practicing a skill. Mm -hmm. If you can practice it more similar to competition and do good quality practice, then why would that be a mistake? I mean, maybe for some people, they'll have better or worse adaptive response to it. But if you can have a good response and I can do triples, that means I can do, I can do six triples, get 18 reps in, of, in my squat suit. I, I don't see anyone doing 18 singles. Like that would be a, that'd be a horribly long workout. Mm -hmm. So I think the, the reps sound great. Yeah. I couldn't agree more. <laughs> I mean, sets of five straps up, squatting high, I don't necessarily think is beneficial. Okay. But if it works for some one person, one lifter, then, then it works for them. And that's really all that matters is the output. Right. Right. So to, I wouldn't to... program uh, someone who asked me for a program to do sets of five in competition gear with high squats. So are you you're saying that uh, you would require all squats to be to an absolute competition depth in gear? You don't think there's any utility to being just so and then banging out a set of five? Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, I'll be the first to say that uh, if I film all my work, especially straps down work, uh, it is not, you know, three white lights consistently. Um, but it's very close, I think. Right. Yeah. I mean, uh, I like to make a joke that Stin would probably give me white lights, but, uh, <laughs> or at least he'd tell me white lights on social media. <laughs> so no, I don't think that it has to all be perfectly to depth. And again, I do find that, uh, um, knee wraps and suit bottom work just because the position I find is slightly different knees a little farther forward, um, that, uh, that they do tend to be a little high. Yeah. And I think I'm it was, sure that was, Sorry, if that was there. a dig at my at my refing or at my squatting. <laughs> <laughs> no, it was just a comment on how positive and supportive you are. So oh, okay, okay. Yeah. That's fair. <laughs> I think there's probably a distinction to be made between, you know, like a, a certain range where yes, you're getting enough of a rep out of it. And also taking into account maybe the experience 
of the lifter and the competition tightness of the suit. You know, uh, going back to the, the bench shirt comment that you just made, like you don't do reps in your new shirt because you can't, you know, if you're, if you're at that point in a piece of equipment, obviously reps are not useful, but I'm going to, I'm going to keep advocating for, uh, for what I believe is right. Yeah. <laughs> hey, if it works, it works right now. Yeah. Um, so we're going to get into some common questions. And these are things that we've been kind of asking everybody as we go through this series. And we'll start off with what is the highlight of your lifting career so far? I'd have to say the highlight was uh, 2016 uh, World Championships. I uh, finished third and got a bronze medal in Orlando, Florida there. All right. And then to counterpoint that, uh, what would you say would be the lowest point of your lifting career? And uh, what were any lessons you might have learned from that? Uh, you know, that's a difficult question to answer. You know, I, uh, I, I sort of have this motto in life that I think that, that you should always be staving off dissatisfaction. And that I think that if one is satisfied, then one doesn't pursue things that are challenging. But at the same time, living in a perpetual state of being disappointed and stressed about being inadequate or whatever is your issue. It's not a way to live a happy life. Um, and certainly probably not even a way to live a, a, a life that's going to lead to the accomplishments that you're going to care about. So um, I sort of believe that it's all about every day when you go to bed, you, you wonder, you know, did I do what it takes to be not dissatisfied? Am I, have I, did I act in a way that makes me feel proud of who I am and what I'm working towards and, and how my actions are in alignment with my values. And so I think that probably the time that I've been most dissatisfied with myself uh, would be at World Games in 2017. Um, so I came fifth. I, it was just up to me. I had my third deadlift. If I made it, I was going to be on the podium, but I missed it. Um, and that was really disappointing. And it's hard because it's another four years before I get another chance. Or in this case, it's about two more to go. Um, and I think that the reason it feels the most disappointing to me, I mean, it was a personal record. Like it was a best work I've ever done. It was, I mean, all in all, I, I worked hard and I should be very satisfied with it. But I think that I had the potential to have done better and I didn't. Um, so that's why I think it's probably the lowest, even though it's actually the highest Wilkes or IPF score I've ever done. Interesting. So <clears throat> who have been some of your biggest inspirations? Mm. Uh, that doesn't necessarily need to be power lifters, but, uh, I guess who's sort of inspired you powerlifting or otherwise, um, in, in whatever way you found mm -hmm. uh, important. Mm. Oh, these are great questions. Thanks, guys. Um, so starting with lifting, you know, I think that uh, the first lifters that I really looked up to when I got started um, were lifters that I thought uh, really embodied the idea of taking the sport seriously as a pursuit to be done with intention and with focus on this idea of being the most refined lifter. And so, you know, when I got started and, you know, powerlifting, it's not like there's big communities in many places. So I, I saw online people like, uh, I always enjoyed the lifting of Wade Hooper. Uh, I found that really impressive. And I also uh, certainly really enjoyed the lifting of Tom Keen and his, uh, his group out, uh, out east. 
Uh, and so they sort of showed me, um, I think, uh, what good lifting could look like. And then, I mean, sort of on a non-specific way, I, I think that, uh, you know, the idea of having nothing but gold medals for more than 10 years is why I, I, don't, I don't imagine how it's possible to not look up to Yaroslav Oleg uh, to just be that good for that long. Mm-hmm. Um, so those are sort of non-specific answers. And, and outside of lifting, it's, it's similar to the same thing as the people that I've seen that just uh, decide something's worth doing and doing it with passion and focus for a long time. So uh, in research, I've been very fortunate to have had a, a PhD supervisor, a gentleman by the name of Tim Kiefer, uh, who's someone who uh, has run a very large and very successful lab, but um, through all of that is still someone who's an excellent mentor who takes the time and believes that it's uh, worth spending an effort to help the next generation. And certainly I've benefited from that and, and I'm appreciative. Awesome. Uh, and uh, what's one piece of advice uh, or maybe not necessarily advice, but one message you might be able to, if you had a chance to, to give to yourself when you're first starting out, is there anything you kind of boil it down to, to one sort of, one sort of tidbit? Mm. Uh, you know, maybe less sandwiches. Uh, no, <laughs> <laughs> more sandwiches. Yeah, more sandwiches. Don't give up on the sandwiches. Uh, I don't know. I think maybe uh, early on, I I sort of forgot that I was doing it for fun. Uh, so enjoy the journey like it's a great journey it's a great sport and taking some time to you know build some friendships in the sport and taking some time to savor your successes along the way maybe is something that i i didn't uh, put enough time and effort into i think that's a a pretty important message uh to like almost even at this point continually remind yourself Mm -hmm. uh i find it being more and more important especially as i as i relate to uh athletes and and uh go through my coaching calls, especially mm-hmm. right now, you know, like make the, make the training fun. Um, mm-hmm. what, so if you could, uh, have some kind of influence over, over, uh, a raw lifter to go equipped, is there somebody that you follow who's lifting that you think would, would carry over? Well, like what's, what's one raw lifter you'd love to see become an equipped lifter? You mean other than Frank Skrachek? <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, I guess you qualified after nationals. So yeah, yeah. yeah I fi- uh, finally, twenty twenty, marked it off. Yeah. Jeez, uh, you know, like I said, I'm not super active on social media, so I don't pay attention to a ton of lifting. Um, but I'm, I'm uh, uh, I mean, I think. I'd be very interested to see Maria T lift in, in equipment. Uh, I think that her levers in particular might work very well for equipped squatting. Um, so that could be uh, something very interesting to see. Um, so maybe that's an easy answer, you know? Cool. That's a good answer. I like that. And then uh, lastly, uh, do you have any concrete goals or anything kind of you're aiming for right now? <laughs> uh, yeah, uh, I mean, for me, the thing that uh, that gets me up to train, at, you know, before five in the morning is uh, is uh, I'd like to hear the Canadian anthem at World Games one day. Yeah, awesome. Yeah, well, you got to dream it to make it happen. For sure. Awesome. Man. For sure. Well, that's uh, I mean, that's that's pretty much what we have uh, for you. So 
thank you very much for being on here. And if, uh, if people want to find you, I don't know if you do a little bit of coaching right now still or anything like that, but if people want to find you, where can they uh, reach out, ask questions, those kinds of things, get a hold of all those eight years of training logs you offered up for the internet. <laughs> <laughs> well, I didn't offer all of them. <laughs> I don't know if that'd be useful to anyone. Right. But uh, no, I don't actually do coaching uh, at this okay. point. Um, okay. Something that I've chosen to not fit into my schedule. Um, but uh, I do post some occasional low quality cell phone videos in my nine by nine room on uh, my Instagram. It's A R Ramsey. That's A R R A M Z Y. Um, so if that's your thing, you know, I sometimes wear really tight shorts as well. If that, uh, I know that's why skin follows me. So uh, yeah. that's real finding. Yeah. And you're I welcome just, to, I'm on Facebook as well. You can send me a message there. I just watched, watched to reassure you of your depth. That's all. <laughs> Stin's going to go through and just comment three wipes on every single one of your squad videos. <laughs> awesome. Um, Thanks so much, Adam. We really well, appreciate really you coming on. I, I, uh, I hope that uh, this is something that uh, will be of interest to the audience. Fantastic. All right. We want to thank you for listening to the Equipped, Bruised, and Tired podcast. We're going to be available on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, wherever fine podcasts are found. So make sure to leave your five-star rating if you enjoyed the show and a review as well and or check out our video version of the show on our YouTube channel. If you have any questions for ourselves, guest suggestions, or questions for our guests, you can go ahead and contact us at equippedbruisedtired at gmail.com and make sure to do your part to spread the word of the equipped renaissance. We'll see you next time.